Good morning, church family. Well, what kind of runner am I? What kind of runner are you? Uh, I suppose there's a couple options. There's probably more than a couple options, but maybe for our sake this morning, there's a couple options. What kind of runner are you? What kind of runner am I? Perhaps there's the one that looks, you know, arms pumping, eyes focused, speed, working hard, seeing what's ahead, wanting to get there. Perhaps there's another kind of runner that's, when do I get to the finish line? Is this over yet? You know, what kind of runner are you? Uh, I know what kind of runner I am. But uh, at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul exhorts us to run in such a way as to get the prize to run our life, our spiritual life, to run the race that God has put before us, to run in such a way as to win, is to get to to what he has for us, to grow in Christ and to be more like him, to, to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. Paul exhorts us at the end of 1 Corinthians 9 to run in such a way as to get the prize that our spiritual life, that sharing the good news of Jesus can, can be taken with that kind of passion, that we should be in it to win it. That not just in it to do the bare minimum, not just in it once in a while, not just in it to see what I might get out of it, but run in such a way as to, as to win the prize. Throughout the scriptures, God uses this language of, of, of a race, of a runner, to give us the, the impression that there is an aspect of our spiritual life uh, of our pursuit of him that, that involves this kind of like this competition idea. This, this, there should be strict training. We should, we should be intentional. There should be uh, a way that we strive after to see what God has for us. And now, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about earning your salvation. Not, not if you're the fastest runner, you get saved. Not if you're the best looking runner with the coolest clothes, will God like you more. I'm not talking about that, but I am talking about running the race, running our spiritual life in a way that is pleasing to God. Because we love him so much, because he's done so much for us, that our lives would be lived with with obvious thankfulness and exuberance and and respect and love for shown back to God, that we would want to run in, in, in a way as to get the prize. So what kind of runner are we? And um, you've heard this, perhaps you've heard that, that metaphor before, and perhaps we've come to church before and been encouraged to run the race, and perhaps we could leave here today fired up and motivated and ready to go and wanting to be closer to Jesus, but what's the reality of what, what happens in our lives? What's the reality of what you faced this last week? What do we probably know is ahead for us this coming week. Perhaps we want to run the race. Perhaps we want to be in it to win it. But we find ourselves in painful and difficult circumstances, and specifically, I'm thinking of tempting circumstances. Perhaps, not even perhaps, this last week you were tempted in some way. So was I. At least once. Perhaps we we want to run the race. We want to be in it to win it. But we find ourselves in tempting situations that, that just could take us off stride. I want to I 
run through some examples, and these are just a few that I thought of that perhaps you could relate to that uh, situations you might find yourself in that, that put you in a tempting situation where you're tempted to go the wrong way, to do the wrong thing, to go against what you know would be pleasing to God, to do what probably comes more natural to our sinful flesh. Here's some examples that I'm just going to run through. And you may relate more than others to one of these, and, and it might be none of these. But I suggest that while I'm suggesting these examples, I think the Holy Spirit will bring to mind one for you. If, if not one of these, there will be one that you relate to, a situation that you faced even in the last few days that you know you may come up against again, where you find it very difficult to get out of it, to, to, to honor God in that difficult circumstance. Perhaps you're at work, and perhaps at work there's a, there's things that are okay and not okay for you to do. Perhaps there's things at work that you'd like to get done personal, personal fault calls, personal photocopies, personal errands that could be done during work time. It would be convenient. It would be necessary. You feel the burden of life and busyness and deadlines. But perhaps your workplace doesn't really have an allotment for that. Perhaps you find yourself needing to send in a rebate and you need a photocopy of the receipt and you need a photocopy of the UPC symbol, right? And so you go, I just need a couple of copies. But perhaps there's not an allotment for that at your workplace. Or, or perhaps if it's not a silly example of a, of a small moral situation like that, perhaps there's some other um, temptation to unethical behavior in your work. Perhaps you find yourself at the proverbial um, uh, water cooler, or the literal water cooler, if that still happens, I don't know. And, and you perhaps find yourself in the proverbial situation of what happens around the proverbial water cooler. I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you find yourself engaged in conversation with those around you, perhaps in your workplace, or if you're a student in the hallway at school, and you find yourself in conversation with people that you know, and the conversation turns to talking about someone else who is not present, and the conversation also begins to lead not only in just talking about the person who's not present, but the conversation takes a turn for the negative or the derogatory or the making fun or the mockery. And you know what? If you're like me in the sinful flesh, your mind might start working on how you could participate in the conversation. My mind might start working, you know, man, that person is kind of odd, and I had a weird interaction with them last week too, and I could add a story in here right now, and I could add to this conversation, and I'd probably get a laugh, and maybe I'd be accepted in this, with, my, with these people I'm talking with. So you're about to open your mouth. Perhaps the situation is you're, surfing, you're, you're on the computer, you're doing some research, you're reading articles on the internet, whatever you're doing uh, on the computer, on the internet, and boom, something pops up in front of your face. A link, an alluring picture, an enticing story. And you see, you, you find that the cursor on the screen of the computer seems to be moving toward, somehow it's, somehow it's moving toward the link. And the finger above the mouse button is, is poised. Perhaps the, that's the tempting situation. Perhaps you have kids. And perhaps, unlike my kids, you're, my kids are perfect, so I never find myself in a situation that is difficult for me in relation to my kids. But you may have children that are difficult and that cause you to 
Um, I have a friend who has kids who sometimes caused him a little bit of stress, and he can feel it welling up inside of him. And he knows there's potentially some verbal vomit that's about to happen. And potentially that hit my friend. Uh, potentially that verbal vomit is going to include anger, inappropriate anger, perhaps words he does not want to use or say or be able to take back. His mouth's about to open. My friend's mouth is about to open. Perhaps the situation, the tempting situation we find ourselves in is just that something doesn't go our way. We have a conversation with someone, a friend or family member that doesn't go, that doesn't go the way we want. They don't say or do the thing that we expect of them, and, and it sends us down a, in a spiral. Or we, have some poor, we experience some poor customer service. Or what is it that, that happens in our week that derails us, that, that, that causes our attitude to spin out of control? And, and perhaps what is one episode becomes a whole day or a whole week of bitterness and, and pessimism and taking it out on those around us because we're tempted to just let our attitude get out of control and take it out on other people. What was the... Uh, which one resonates with you or which one did the, which other situation did the Holy Spirit bring to your mind that is a tempting situation that you face? And then I'm going to ask this question repeatedly for the next little bit. Are we doomed to fail? In those situations, when faced with temptation, when put in a situation where we could honor God with our life, our choices, our words, our actions, or we could go against him and fall into the sin of our flesh and our, our own earthly desires, are we doomed to fail in that situation? It, it, when, when, I, when, the, when my finger is poised above the, the mouse button, is the only possible thing that could happen is that I'm going to fall into sin? I know I, could, I know I can feel that way at times. Like, there's no way around this. I've been here before, I've fallen into sin, and it's going to happen again. Sometimes I feel that way. Sometimes I don't feel like this runner. Sometimes I feel like this runner and the one that goes flat on his face. So let's see what God's word has for us this morning. Open with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll start at verse 1 in a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, open your Bible, open your Bible app on your device and follow along with me. We're going to look at the first 13 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. As I read these first few verses, look with me for indicators of God's presence. What do we see in this, in this passage of indicating that God is present, that he is guiding that he is protecting. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. 
the author of this letter, the Apostle Paul, a leader in the early church, is writing to this group of Christians in a town called Corinth, thus the Corinthians, the Corinthian Christians. He's writing this to them, and Paul is recalling the events of the Exodus, what we refer to as the Exodus, this massive event in the Old Testament portion of our Bible where God called his people out of slavery in Egypt, got them free, uh, journeyed them through the wilderness, and eventually to the promised land. And so in these verses that we just read, Paul is recalling the events of the Exodus, and he's explaining that Israel, God's people, had God with them. And what are these indicators? What are these what are these signs, that we, what, are, what are the things we see in, the, in that, those verses that show us about God's presence and guidance and protection with them? Well, we see he gave them the cloud. He gave them the cloud to guide them during the day and the flame by night. We see, that we see in this passage we just read that God parted the sea. This incredible story of as they escaped slavery in Egypt and, and, and were pursued by their enemies, that God opened the waters and made a way through. Does that show that God was with them? And God gave them this leader, Moses, and God gave them physical food and drink and, and provision and, and, um, and, and what they needed. But also, as our passage said, this spiritual drink, the spiritual food. So interesting that he's referring to times before Christ. He's referring to something that happened way back in the history of God's people. And he says, the rock that followed them was Christ. Because Jesus is and was and is to come. Because God is with his people. And yet the next verse, verse 5, says that God was not pleased because they failed to obey him. And so we're going to see as the passage continues that this, how their disobedience looks. But I want us to be encouraged this morning too that we too have indicators of God's presence with us. We too, as followers of Jesus today in 2020, need to recognize and be encouraged that we have the book that's in your lap, God's very words to us, to help us, to guide us, to show us who he is. And this one is amazing, that as followers of Jesus, if we have surrendered our life to him, if we have found salvation in him, that God himself, the Holy Spirit, dwells within us. That we have a God who is not God, God who, we have a God who is not distant, but a God who has come near and lives within us by His Spirit. And we have God's people. We gather together with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to be encouraged by God's presence with us. So when we're faced with temptation, will we be able to please God? When we are faced with these tempting situations, are you going to be able to come through? Will you be able to please God, or are we doomed to fail? Let's keep reading in 1 Corinthians 10. And as we, as we get back in here at verse 6, you'll see these bookends. Look, look, note the bookends of verses 6 and 11. Now, these things took place as examples for us. This, these things that, God, that Paul is talking about that happened in the Old Testament times, these things in the history of God's people that have been written down so that we would hear about them, he writes this in verse 6, Now these things took place as an examples for us, that we might not desire as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. 
We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them, as an, this is the bookends, 6 and 11. Why does God record these things? Why are these, there are these events in, God's, in the history of God's people? Verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example, that they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So verses 6 and 11 indicate that these things written down in God's word are to be examples for us. Some of your Bible translations say as warnings for us. And it's a great reminder, by the way, that the Old Testament is absolutely living in part of God's living and active and relevant and applicable word. If, sometimes I think we'd prefer to read the New Testament, prefer to read about Jesus, and we're not sure what to do with the Old Testament. But here we have Paul in God's word using the Old Testament, pointing to all that God has done in the history of his people and, and showing us that that too is God's inspired word that has authority and is applicable to our lives. And so these examples, these warnings, yes, are, are what to do and sometimes what not to do, but always pointing us to Christ. So he gives these specific examples in verses 7 through 10 uh, of things that were challenges for God's people. Areas that, that, were, that were hard for them, where they got faced in these situations and where God's people fell into sin. But the, but the beauty of God's word being relevant and applicable to us today is that he's talking about these things that happened in the history of God's people, but he's applying them to the Corinthians 2,000 years ago because he knows they need to hear these corrections and words of warning and example too. And guess what? Because of the power of God's word, so do you and I. So in 7 through 10, he lists these examples of things that, that God's people struggled with, that the Corinthians faced, and that we face as temptations too. And verse 7 talks about idolatry. He's perhaps talking about the golden calf incident where, where in, the, in, the, in the brief absence of, of God's appointed leader, the people couldn't take it anymore and needed something to worship and created their own golden calf in order to have something there to worship. But what does idolatry look like for us today? For them, for God's people back then, it was, it was misdirected worship. It was their attention and passion and focus put on something other than God. And that's what idolatry is for us as well, is when anything in our lives, anyone or anything or any activity, replaces our worship of God. When something bumps God off the throne he should have in our lives and receives our attention and worth and purpose more then God himself, that's idolatry. When we become so obsessed, so consumed with our hobbies or our computer or our phone or our, a certain relationship or, or even our work, those are all good things. It's good to have work. It's good to have hobbies and relationships and things we put our time into, and those things can be, are given by God. But when, they, when we become so obsessed and so consumed with them, then we too are falling into the temptation of idolatry. Verse 8 warns them against sexual immorality. We, need the, we, we frequently need the reminder of God's good intentions for sexuality, that God designed sexuality, that he has good purposes in mind, including our pleasure. But when and where? 
God designed sexual um, relations for the purpose, for the context of marriage between one man and one woman. And anything outside of that constitutes sexual immorality, sexual sin, adultery, other kinds of sex out of marriage. And, And really, when we think about temptations that we face, we should consider this category Anything that would lead us down the road towards sexual sin, when you think about pornography, the, the awful corruption of, of God's good intentions itself is pornography, but also leading down the road towards sexual immorality, emotional connections with someone other than our spouse, flirting, things that, that, that can dishonor God and lead t- towards sexual immorality. And verses 9 and 10 talk about testing the Lord, grumbling against the Lord. If you know the story of the Exodus, God gets his people out of slavery. He leads them through the wilderness. He parts the waters. He provides for them. He shows them the way. He shows that he is with them. And yet, and yet, they test him. They question his intentions. They don't know, they don't, they're not sure they're real fired up about this plan of being in the wilderness for a while. So they test him, and they push back, and they grumble. And and Paul knew that the Corinthians needed to hear this, and because it's in God's word, I think God knows that you and I need to hear this this morning too, that we can trust our faithful God, that he is at present with us, that he is working, that he is guiding and protecting and leading us through. And and after these reminders of examples of of sin, 7 through 10, You'll see that, you'll note that there are consequences in each situation. We have, we have graphic pictures here in this passage of God's discipline, of the consequences that come when his people fall into sin. And so we need to take temptation seriously. We need to, we need to come to grips this morning with the fact that we are tempted to fall into sin and we have opportunity to please God in our ways or to go against him and to fall into the sin of our flesh and do what comes more natural to our earthly human ways. We need to take temptation very seriously. That's why this verses 6 and 11 said that these are to be examples to us, warnings to us. Because temptation can lead us into the trap of sin. Israel wasn't perfect. They fell into sin, God's people. The Corinthians... The more we read this letter to the Corinthians, the more we know that the Corinthians fall short of God's glory. And it can happen to us too, right? This next verse, in fact, I think warns us that this could happen to us too. And and before we get to it, let me just say this. Um, There are are two, the next two, we're going to study two more verses, verse 12 and verse 13. And as we study these two verses, I think there's two key reminders for us. And so this is a risky thing to say when you stand up here teaching for a living. But I'll, I'll, I'll say, if you forget everything else I said this morning, okay, if not much sticks, but if we look to God's word and there's a couple of takeaways, if there's a couple of things to remember, I think there's perhaps these two key reminders for us. And the first one is, don't be overly confident. Let's read verse 12 to see what I mean. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. 
If, if anyone thinks he is standing firm, be careful. Verse 12 is saying, if you, if you think you're standing firm, if you think things are going okay, if you think you can hold up under the pressure of, of temptation, take heed. Be careful so that you don't fall. If you think this can't, it's, it's kind of a verse of, of, if you think this can't happen to you, dot, dot, dot. Don't be overly confident. Perhaps God's people were too confident that they could manage, that they could handle it, that they could, that they could follow God. Sure, Lord, we'll follow you. We'll continue to worship you. We'll never be distracted. Oh, look, a golden idol. Don't be overly confident. The Corinthians were overly confident in their newfound knowledge. They had, they had gained this knowledge and wisdom from the scriptures, and they were bragging about it. We've seen this earlier in this letter. They were overly confident they thought this newfound knowledge and spirituality would, would set them apart, and now they were entitled and deserving of all these spiritual riches. And you and I, too, can be overly confident. And so I'm actually going to take a moment here, and I'm gonna, in, in a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand aside. I'm going to stop talking, and I think this is important. I'm going to give us a minute or two of silence right here in the midst of our time studying God's Word I want us to take a few moments, I want to give you a few moments, me a few moments, to talk with our great God, to open our hearts and minds to our great God, to, to, to open ourselves up about the areas of temptation that we face in our lives. This is not just something that is for, for people that don't know God, that face temptation. It's not just something that happens when you're, you're new to following Jesus, that you have these temptations and things. The, even those of us that have been walking with Jesus for some time, we live in a broken world in a difficult place with difficult things going on around us that face us and that come at us every day and that lure us to going away from God. So I want to give you this minute or two, and I would, I would ask you, take the chance to confess. God can, God can handle it. You're not going to surprise God with what bothers you with what's hurting you, with the, with the areas where you fall short, with the areas where you go into sin, with the areas that are tempting to you. Confess your sin to him. Express to God. Express to him your desire to repent, to turn from that, and to follow him. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and, and, and bow your head and, 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 and talk with your loving father. Confess your sins. Express your desire to repent be open with him, be honest with him, and ask God to show you. Ask, take the next minute or two. Ask God to show you where you need him. Where the tempting situations come where you need him to be with you.
I hope you were able to use that time, and it's really not much time. It's really something that we could all do really regularly and for a longer period of time, but I hope that was a, a helpful chunk of time, a needed chunk of time. I hope you took the opportunity to talk with our great God, because temptation can lead us into the trap of sin, so, so we must take these warnings, these examples from God's word seriously. We need to take temptation seriously so that we are not overly confident. We need to not be overly confident. We need to recognize our shortcomings. We need to recognize how on our own we cannot do it, how we fall short and go against the glory of God. We need to make sure that we're not overly confident. And so as we study this, this passage this morning and we look at these Old Testament examples, this might be this is pretty hard to hear. And so I'm back to that question. In, in, when you face a tempting situation, are you doomed to fail? When, you, when you're faced with that situation yet again, that opportunity to speak or that opportunity to do something or that opportunity to click a button or whatever it is, whatever situation that the Spirit has put on your mind this morning, when you're faced with that temptation yet again, are we doomed to fail? Is the only thing that could possibly result from this situation is that we're going to fall into sin. Because when we look at the examples in our passage this morning, it's not all that encouraging. It doesn't look all that hopeful. But let's keep going because I want us to consider this morning, I want us to consider now in the next few minutes God's faithfulness to his people. I want us to see the hope of God's word here as we continue. I want us to see that in the situation where we face temptation, we are not doomed to sin. Because God, because just as God was faithful to his people in, in these Old Testament stories that we've been remembering this morning, he called them out of slavery, out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and eventually they got where? They eventually got to the promised land. He said they would, and they did. God is faithful. The path was pretty zigzaggy. Is that a thing? And, and it wasn't fun, and they grumbled against it. And they questioned his provision and they questioned his purposes, but they got where God told them they would be. God promised and he came through. God promised and he is faithful. So let's look at, in a moment, we'll look at verse 13. And I think this leads us to this, this key reminder, number, number two. Number one was, we need to not be overly confident. Number two is, don't be overly afraid. We don't want to be overly confident but I think God reminds us this morning, too, that we don't need to be overly afraid. In other words, we don't need to be overwhelmingly, paralyzingly fearful when facing temptation. There's probably an appropriate respect of, I mean, appropriate amount of, 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 of fear, of trembling, of, of humility, of respect for God. But I don't think we need to be overly afraid. Read with me 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it or to stand up under it. Does it sound like the, the tempting situation goes away completely? No. Nope. He provides a way of escape. He provides a way you can stand up under it. It says there, so that you can endure it. The temptations come. 
The difficult circumstances come. The, the trials are there. Those circumstances may not go away, but God provides a way. So we don't have to be overly afraid. And, and, the, and the first thing I want us to see here about this, about not being afraid, is that you're not alone. You know what a really... You know what lie Satan would tell me, especially when I was an early Christian? When I would fall into sin, when I would be faced with temptation and not honor God, when I would go away from him, when I would fall into sin, you know what Satan, the evil one, wanted me to think? You're the only loser doing that. You're a disaster, Olson. What a mess. You should be ashamed of yourself. That's what the evil one wants us to think. But you're not alone. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So we actually can take, sorry, but we actually can take encouragement that other followers of Jesus around us are sinners too. We, we can take encouragement in that. And it's, it's not funny in the sense of I don't want us to keep sinning. But you know what's helpful about it is as we follow Jesus and we have followers of Jesus in our lives that we can journey with, we can help each other. Because we understand. Because it happens to me too. Because I want to gossip. Because I want to click that button. Because I want to get angry and scream. It happens to me too. So let's, let's talk with each other. Let's help each other through it. And that's why we exist. As a, One of the reasons it's beautiful about being a church family is to gather together in community with other Christians. I hope that you're part of a life group. I hope that within your life group, if not now but someday, within your life group, I hope there'll be a smaller group even yet of, of men and a few men and a few women and a few men and a few women where if you don't already have this in your life, I, my hope and my desire is that you'll have a place in your life where you can talk with people, brothers and sisters in Jesus and tell the truth about your life and have them love you anyway and have, you, have them help you through it, pray you through it, point you to Jesus. And, even, and, and I, so I say, I remind you that you're not alone. The evil one would like you to think that you're alone in your sin. I remind you that you're not alone, that, that the sin that overtakes you is, is only that is common to man. But even better than having followers of Jesus near us, God himself is with you. God is faithful and he's there with you. And so we've been looking at this question all morning. We've been saying, am I doomed to fail? When I get into that tempting circumstance, when I'm faced with that situation, and I know I've messed up before. I know I've gone that way before. I think it's just going to happen again. Am I doomed to fail? Is that the only possible end to this situation? No. No, it's not. Temptation can be a trap leading to sin, yes, but we have a God who has come near and who is with us. Verse 13, the end of verse 13 is glorious. Look at it again. But with that temptation, God will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We are not doomed. God provides an escape route. We're running a race. We're running a race. We want to be in it to win it. We want to get to the end. We want to become mature followers of Jesus. We want to get to that spiritual life race that he's calling us to. We want to share the gospel with those around us. We're running the race. And temptation is Satan's effort to derail me from the race, to knock me off my stride, to push me off the track. And that verse we just read, verse 13, is saying that God wants to keep us on track. 
that when I'm starting to stumble in the race, that when I'm tipping sideways and about to go off the track, that God grabs my arms. What is the way out, though? I, I still, what's, so what's the way out? This is a great truth. Verse 13, Lord, I'm excited to hear that. You provide a way out. What does that look like? What's that look like? In that situation where there's an, a, a moral dilemma at work, where you have an opportunity to cheat or to take something you don't deserve or to use company time to do something personal, whether it's that example or whether it's the example of, of gossip or spreading malicious rumors, saying things about people you shouldn't be saying, saying things about people you don't know to be true or not, whatever that situation is that we're tempted to join in and participate, whether it's clicking a link that's going to take me down the, the depravity and disaster and mess and marriage-ruining, life-ruining thing called pornography, whatever situation it is, God's not necessarily going to remove those tough circumstances. Those things don't just go away. We're going to face these temptations. We're going to come across difficulties. But what's that way out then he's offering you? He gives us the ability to stand up under it, to endure the trial, to find a way out. You know what we sometimes say to each other? We sometimes say things to each other, and it might come from this verse. We say things to each other like, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Baloney. We sometimes say that to each other, and the person in the difficult situation might want to punch you. We say, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. And we kind of got that from this, this or sorry, not this, from the verse 13. We, we kind of think we got it from that. But I'm going to say this. God, will, God will absolutely will give you more than you can handle. But he's not going to give you more than he can handle through you. You see the difference there? Life is hard. And there's stuff that keeps coming at you. And I think it is going to be more than you can handle. And I know it's more than I can handle. But verse 13 says that in that temptation, God will provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. And you know what that way out is? I think the way out is is that moment, see if you relate to me on this, when you're tempted and you're going down that path and you see the potential end, you see where it could lead, you see where if you click the button, you see where if you say that malicious word, where it's going to end up. I'm just going to be in that sin again. I'm just going to fall into that sin again. But isn't there sometimes that moment of pause? Why is my finger hovering above the mouse button? Why hasn't it clicked it yet? I think that might be the way out. I think that might be God by his Holy Spirit giving you pause in your brain, giving you a moment to recognize this ain't worth it. And yes, in our sinful flesh, and yes, even as followers of Jesus, yes, we might click it again. Yes, we might say those harmful words again. Yes, we might do that sinful thing again. But increasingly, I will tell you this, increasingly, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit of God living within you, and as the Spirit of God transforms you from the inside out, is making you into a new person and giving you a new heart and new mind and new desires, I think increasingly there will be a moment of pause where he gives you a way out, where he says, this ain't worth it, don't do it, and where you go, oh yeah. I think, it, I think that the way out is that moment of pause. 
I think that's the escape route, and I want us to take it. I want us to take that way out. Not on our own strength, not because we're all that and a bag of chips, not because that because I'm some A-plus Christian, but by God's grace and the Holy Spirit's empowerment that I could not click. It's, it's, it's possible, friends. So what are those other situations? What, what is the situation that the Holy Spirit... And, and, do you have that moment of pause? When faced with a tempting situation, is there that moment of pause that, that, that I'm talking about? Is there that moment where you might even hear of the voice of God tell you, this isn't a good idea, you have an opportunity to stop? I'm so thankful if you have that pause, if you have that voice of God. That's the Spirit's work in your life. I'm so thankful. Because even if you still click, God is with you. He forgives you, and the Spirit is working. If you don't have that pause, my fear is that the Holy Spirit of God does not dwell within you, which means you need Jesus. Because on your own, you're, you're going to click every time. But with the Spirit of God living within you, you will be transformed and be made new and will be increasingly able to find victory, not because you are awesome, but because God is. So whatever that situation that God brought to your mind, what is it that the tempting situation you faced last week or that you may face again here in a couple days, look for the way out. Because when we face temptation, we are not doomed to fail. Because we're not alone in that situation. God is faithful. He is present with us. And he provides a way out. Let's pray. Father God, I ask you... Um, just to be with us. We, we're, we're thankful we don't have to ask you to be with us. We're thankful that you are a God who has come near to us, that you are a God who, who comes to us in Jesus, who sent his son to live and die and be raised again so that we too can have life. We thank you that you're a God who comes near to us through your spirit living within us. So God, would you, would you remind us that you are with us in every situation? God, would you show us that you are with us and helping us, and, 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 and would God, would we recognize that moment of pause that you give us, that moment of clarity that you give us, would you help us to hear that sometimes small voice of your spirit's prompting in our heart and mind? Would you help us to see and take that way out so that we don't fall into sin? Because God, I know it's our desire. I know that, I, I, I mean, I think I can speak for others that, we desire to follow you. We want to take that escape route. We don't want to fall into sin yet again and yet again. But we also, God, we also are, are realistic to know that we do. And so, God, I'm also thankful that when I fall into sin, that you are faithful and that you give me opportunity to repent, to turn away from sin and turn to you. God, I'm thankful that you give each person here that is following you, that is desiring to glorify you, God, thank you that you work in our lives, calling us to repentance and God offering us forgiveness. Thank you that we don't have to be perfect. Thank you that even when we fall into sin, even when we face those temptations and, and fail, that you sent your son to die for that sin so that we could be forgiven and our lives be made right with you. 
So, Father, forgive us. Forgive us for our sin. Help us to rest on your faithfulness, knowing you are with us and carrying us and guiding us and protecting us, and that you are with us in what we face in the coming days and weeks, that we can look for you and find that way out. God, would you help us to cling to the fact that you are faithful and good and forgiving and full of grace, that you don't nail us, that you don't hammer us when we fall short, but that your love continues to abound, that your grace continues to abound, that you forgive, that you forgive again, and that you call us to live for you in all we do. So Lord, help us as we live our lives to run the race in a way that it will win, in a way that's in it to win it. God, we love you and you've done so much for us and we want to live our lives of, out of, in thankfulness. So may all of our acts of worship this morning, our prayers and our offerings and our songs, God, be just offered out of so much thankfulness for all you've done. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.